Bibi Fahodier, welcome to the African Liberation Media Podcast. Media solely focused on the liberation and empowerment of African people. I'm your host, Gullah Jack, aka Russell Swilly. Let's get to it. Bibi Fahodier, this is the African Liberation Media. I'm here with Brother Amos. And Brother Macaroo, I am Gullah Jack, a.k.a. Russell Swilly. We want to open the show by venerating one of our ancestors, the great Dessaline. Bibi Fahodier, African family. Today, we're taping the show on September the 20th. And this is the Earth Day of the African revolutionary, the African liberator, our esteemed ancestor, Jean-Jacques Dessalines. I got an email from um, our beautiful revolutionary sister, Azili Danto, early in the week. She sent out a reminder that uh, we'd be celebrating, uh, Friday would be the, the birthday of the great Dessalines, uh, according to her, born in, in, by most people consider him to be born in, 19, in 18, 1758, uh, some say 1760, uh, they even disagreements about where his birthplace were, but most people agree that he was born on our motherland and uh, was transported as a young person to the island of Aiti, uh, which was then a colony uh, of France. Um, so I, I just I just want to read just a few things, few, few things about this uh, honorable uh, great African liberator, and I'm reading from uh, The Island of Memes, Haiti's Unfinished Revolution by Dr. Wade Nobles, one of our most esteemed uh, social scientists. And he says, in addition to Francois Mackendall, Duty Bookman, Cecile Fatimon, and Toussaint Louverture, the other notable leaders of the Haitian liberation struggles were Jean-Jacques Dessalines, Henri Christophe and Alexandre Petion. Some people might question Petion, but anyway. Not only do these individuals represent the leadership that led to the establishment of the first independent black nation in the Western Hemisphere, they also gave us a data set for further understanding of the formation of Haiti's cachet of consciousness. Haiti's first mimetic horseman was Dessalines, said to have been born in Africa, most likely Guinea, around 1760, brought to uh, St. Dominique by the French. His early life would have been, nature, been nurtured by African mimetic ideations, tempered with invasion and possibly the experience of intertribal treachery and warfare. Dessalines was enslaved on a plantation in the northern province. He was sold to Henry Ducas, a French planter, and then he was eventually sold around 1788 to a free black man who was named Dessalines. It is said that he treated uh, Jean and his two brothers very well, and they, they adopted the name of the black owner. Dessalines' story, like those of all great black men, could not be completely told without speaking of the women in his life. One of the most important, who had a significant influence in his early life, was Victoria Toya. Mantu, uh, Professor uh, uh, Bello talks a lot about Toya too and uh, her influence. This African warrior woman taught Dessalines to be fearless, how to fight hand-to-hand -hand combat and to throw a knife. She was an extraordinary warrior who commanded her own army and fought like her student, Dessalines, against the French in the uh, Cajos Mountains in, in, on the island of Haiti. So Dessalines' love and respect for her were unending, and she lived as part of uh, his family until her death in 1805. The other significant woman was the woman, of course, he married, Marie Claire uh, Felicity, and um, she was said to have been a mistress of, of, a, of a planner who gave her a good education. In fact, Cyril R. James says she was a woman of remarkable beauty who was a healer, and she was sympathetic to the French. But, of course, that didn't stop. But the fact that she felt that way didn't stop Dessalines from, from doing what he had to do. Um, let's see. 
Let's go on down to um, Dessaline's personal history suggests a consciousness or mind map that included the recognition that one's highest status or rank. And he had been a uh, initially he was like a, uh, a foreman uh, amongst the enslaved population. But his highest status or rank did not shield African people from the indignity found in the master-slave relationship. So in other words, although he had a, a, a better class status, he didn't necessarily see that as being beneficial to his people. Being a commander, Dessaline did not command invaluable respect and honor. The mimetic ideation that must have surrounded his mind was that of constant uh, denigration and insecurity. He also experienced he also experienced good treatment from his black owner as evidenced by the fact that he and his brothers adopted the free man's name, but it was also under the owner that uh, of this Dessaline uh, that he offered more an opportunity to, uh, to marry his wife. So Dessaline was about 30 years old when Bookman and um, Cecile Fatimone organized uh, the ceremony known as Bois Cayman, and this is the ceremony in 1791 that launched uh, the French, uh, the, the revolution against the French. Uh, he, he rose to be a brigadier general by 1799. Uh, it should be noted that Dessalines military training was mostly at the hands of black authority, Bookman, Tucson, and Papillon. The mimetic ideations embedded in his mental map due to these early military experiences experiences were indeed complex. His consciousness would have included mimetic ideations like whites were not invincible, blacks were worthy of leadership, and blacks and mulattoes had a common enemy. And above all, in this complexity of contradictory mimetic ideations, the love of black people was the ultimate determinant of one's decision making. On December 4, 1803, Bonaparte's French colonial army surrendered to Dessalines forces, resulting in the establishment of the world's first independent black nation. He was a key leader in the Haitian Revolution and the first ruler of uh, independent Haiti under the new constitution. So, you know, those are just a few words from, um, from our uh, esteemed uh, scholar, Brother Dr. Wade Nobles, on this brother whose Earth Day we celebrate today, September the 20th, always keep in mind the African revolutionary and liberator, Jean-Jacques Dessalines. And we have a couple of posts up on our Facebook page. One is uh, uh, a short lecture by Professor uh, Bello, and the other is uh, some uh, information that was sent by Sister Danto and she goes deeper into uh, a number of other African warrior women who were on the battlefield fighting, who actually had uh, positions within the uh, Revolutionary Army. So check out those two posts on our, on our Facebook page. And always remember September 20th as, as the Earth Day of one of the most significant African revolutionary warriors this world has ever produced. Ashe. One of the more critical aspects I remember Dr. Ture talking about in reference to the uh, revolution in I-80 was the fact that the first order that went out once the indigenous people or the Africans on that island realized that they were about to be invaded by the French was to burn everything to a crisp. You know, so clearly we're talking about the desire for revolution be being accompanied by revolutionary values in this respect. They valued freedom more than property. See, clearly we've become too comfortable here in the United States to uh, even contemplate this type of seismic change. Uh, suffice it to say, you know, uh, materialism, capitalism, Eurocentric thought has uh, been inculcated by the critical mass of Africans. Uh, suffice it to say, our goal here at African Liberation Media is sovereignty, so that we can get back to a state of being free, proud, and productive people. 
recently, um, some of you may have observed the the spectacle uh, where Killer Mike had several people on the dais. Uh, no one really of uh, noteworthy renown, such as Dr. Marimbaani or some of our esteemed scholars. You know, it, it's sad that uh, to coin a phrase put forth by Pulitzer Prize Chris Hedges that more and more what you find is the end of literacy and the triumph of spectacle. This comes to us from Chris Hedges, whether you're talking about Jay-Z, whether you're talking about the rantings and ravings of somebody like uh, Killer Mike or the grifter, Candace Owens is what I would call her. You know, here it is. This sister has no portfolio to speak of, uses a Democratic adjunct to win a lawsuit, refuses to pay her rent, claiming toxic mold or something like this. It's just pathetic, you know, for these people to recommend Gastonia's worst uh, <laughs> theorist, gentleman by the name of Thomas Sowell, was <laughs> at the absolute pits. Suffice it to say, you know, Killer Mike talks about the two-party system, the duopoly, choosing between two masters. But, you know, suffice it to say, this two-party duopoly has been co-opted by big money, the corporate state. He has really not identified the master. You know, clearly you can, you, 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 some of you might be familiar with Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi who owe their career to Wall Street. You've got to deal with the corporate takeover of government. You know, it does not really matter uh, when it comes to the critical issues, um, what master you choose if you don't deal with the corporate state and, you know, meet out a power stratagem to bring Wall Street to heel. It is Wall Street that is the problem. Uh, this rhetoric about... Uh, your brothers can help me with this, um, how well we were doing after Reconstruction. I, I, I would venture to say that in terms of aggregate wealth, in 2019, our position is comparable to what it was during the time shortly after Lincoln. You're probably talking about somewhere in the neighborhood of 2% of the wealth accumulated by African Americans. In fact, that relationship has not fundamentally changed in over 200 year period. And, uh, you know, so, you know, one of the problems that uh, we find that was articulated by uh, this great brother, uh, Russell Maroon Schultz, is that uh, yeah, we got to make a decision. Is it liberation of gangsterism? <laughs> you know, we, you know, it, <clears throat> gangsterism has dominated. Uh, the consciousness of, 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 of the youth. Other elements that he talks about that serves to our detriment, of course, the infiltration of drugs. Of, we recognize the speed of co-optation. Co and, of course, what you recently saw during this, this monstrous display where Killer Mike uh, ranted and raved was the inability to really uh, identify once again those uh, more experienced elements to scholars, uh, legitimate journalists who could have actually uh, steered this dais and this um, predominantly um, African American audience in a productive direction. Uh, but I know, Brother Almost, you have some things you want to talk about in terms of the danger that this type of uh, display poses as far as the, the direction of African people. That's right, Gullah Jack. And some people will make the statement, they'll say, you know, never trust an entertain entertainer. There have been some entertainers or athletes that have done positive things. So I wouldn't necessarily say never trust an entertainer, but I will say that we have to be very wary of a couple of things when you have these type of forums that are put on by these type of people. Um, anything that someone like P. Diddy, T.I., Killer Mike, uh, 
any of those three are involved in, I don't want to be involved in as it pertains to true African liberation. Come on. Now, what do we mean by true African liberation? Well, Killer Mike said itself. He believes we should be the 15% of all of the industries that exist within America. To him, that is success. Well, from where we stand, that doesn't equal self-control. That doesn't equal sovereignty. That doesn't equal power. He told you to go study Marcus Garvey. Well, if he studied Marcus Garvey, then he would have never made an asinine statement like that. (laughs) And then in the format that he chose to make the statement, he's telling you that we shouldn't choose between two masters, but we should be comfortable with stepping up to 15% of this world's industry in the United States of America. Well, this is what we have to look at and understand. Number one, a lot of these guys who are entertainers are wealthy and they live comfortable lifestyles in the United States of America. A lot of those lifestyles, they're not willing to give up. So they're not going to really talk about anything that it pertains to real liberation and real power for African people because that will ultimately also result in them losing their wealth within the capitalistic system. That's the first thing. The second thing is when you want black people to assume the role or assume the position of having the 15%, that is what you call assimilation into a society that was originally built to destroy you. We talked about this plenty of times on this program, the history of America, what it means in relationship to African people, to black people. So you get up there on the stage and you preach to the people that you should put together an agenda for black people and take it to the president and ask the president, will he support or will she support that agenda for our vote? (laughs) If that doesn't sound like the most powerless thing that you can do, I don't know what does. When you have to go and beg somebody else to do something for you in exchange for a political vote, to me that doesn't represent freedom. I would rather struggle on my own and control my own life and be free than to be controlled and to be living wealthy under somebody else. Hmm. What Marcus Garvey said is we need to get our own. Yes, sir. We need to we need to go and establish our own country. We need to go establish our own Rockefeller. We need to go establish our own wealth. That's what Marcus Garvey said. He didn't say let's stay here and get 15%. And he didn't do it by calling black people the N-word, trying to disguise it under a, 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 a term from uh, Ethiopia that has nothing to do with the origination of the word. Hmm. Could you explain that almost? I think a a lot of people use that word as an excuse for their variations of the N-word. The word N-E-G-U-S, could could you just explain, you know, the etymology of that word, you know, the history of it and how it has absolutely no connection to to the the etymology of uh, the Western Europeans? Yeah, I mean, it's it, it's it's a Amharic word that goes back to Ethiopia around the 14th, 15th century that means king. So people tried, and the word sounds similar to the N-word. So people try to say that the word that originated from the Portuguese language is the word that originated in Ethiopia and that, you know, somehow the Portuguese came in contact with the Ethiopians and they heard African people calling each other this word. Right. Which in Ethiopia, they're not going to just walk around calling anybody a negus, a negus. It was a title, right? It was a title. They're not going to walk around calling anybody that in normal conversation. Right. And you've been to Ethiopia, so you know this. Yeah, I mean, and that's not how linguistics works. Right. So when you look at the etymology of the N-word, it's 
it's uh, attested to from the Portuguese language. Right, and the Portuguese had no connections with East Africa at this at, at, at this point in history when they developed this N word. Right, and the, and the N word itself is a derivative of Negro, which means black amongst the Portuguese and the Spanish. Spanish, right. And then the N-I-G-G-A is a derivative of a southern draw of the N-I-G-G-E-R. Right. Mm-hmm. That's where it comes from. It's basic. That's basic etymology. Anybody, people always like to say, you can go Google that. Well, go Google it. Go look it up in the dictionary. And you'll see where it comes from. This is something that is that has been co-opted by entertainers. I've heard Kendrick Lamar use it in his lyrics and actually try to explain that this is where the word comes from when it's not accurate. Right. I've, I've heard even some of these YouTube scholars like Polite right. talk if, about it. Right. If you're going to if you if you're going to use the word, that's your choice to use the word. But don't try to juxtapose the word that you use onto another word that has nothing to absolutely do with the origination of that word. Yeah, it, it, it seems to me as just a rationalization for continuing to use a word that that, that was literally created on the, uh, out of the death and uh, the destruction of African people. And, it's, and to me, it's disrespectful to me that you will have people come into a forum and speak to our people like they're nothing. Mm-hmm. So you got to use profanity, right? And you got to use the N word to get your point across. But yet these same people, and I'm talking about Killer Mike, I'm talking about David Banner, I'm talking about all these people. They go right up there in front of that cracker on CNN, mm-hmm. and they don't let none of that stuff slip out of their mouth. Not the C word or anything else, right? They don't use that N word on CNN on those platforms, right? But then you come in front of us, and you feel like we're not respected enough to actually talk to people without using that type of language. Great point. Yeah. You know, what What I got from it, uh, you know, when I first heard it, because it was getting, uh, you know, quite a bit of uh, publicity, you know, on social media. Uh, you, of course, we wouldn't post it on our page because it just, uh, it, it, it is uh, what, what we would call the personification of confusion and we're all about clarity. Well, we, what, what, what African liberation media is in the struggle for clarity, and it's a massive struggle against the confusion. When you hear somebody saying you need to study Thomas Sowell, uh, a Negro conservative, Walter Williams, a Negro conservative, make, these are Make America Great Again Negroes, and then he goes from there to uh, these two uh, people from the uh, descendants of uh, slaves movement, and then to the Honorable Elijah Muhammad, Marcus Garvey, and Kwame Ture. You are literally all over the place, and, 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 and what you're doing is saying you're trying to pull from, from, from people who had positions that were ideologically, diametrically opposed to one another. There's absolutely nothing in this world that Kwame Ture, for example, or Marcus Garvey, has in common with Thomas Sowell, uh, Walter Williams, Yvette Carnell, and Antonio Moore. Nothing. Because Kwame Ture and Marcus Garvey were trying to unify the entire African world. The first two, Saul and Williams, are people who are assimilationists, but not just assimilationists, even as, say, uh, the black Democrats. They want to cower down to the big business, Wall Street class that you just talked about. And these other two people from the descendants of slave movement, uh, they want to separate African people based on these... um, unrealistic national identities that have been imposed upon us by the Europeans at the Berlin Conference. So number one, the number one problem I have with it is the confusion. The second problem, he he puts forth this argument that first you should organize and develop an agenda. That's number one. Number two, present your agenda to a candidate and then 
vote for the candidate that accepts your agenda. Okay, well, first, we understand that American politics is the science of deception. These candidates talk out of both sides of their mouth and out of their rear ends, and they will tell you anything to get your vote. I don't care what kind of agenda you take to them. You can take any kind of agenda you want to them. They'll sit up and tell you, yeah, we'll accept this, we'll accept that and whatnot. And then when it comes time to actually produce something, you are left looking stupid. Or what Malcolm called political chumps. You, you, are, you are a political chump. And not only that, you are a traitor to your race. So, so first of all, so to expect that to happen, in, in my opinion, is just the uh, personification of political immaturity, uh, you know, if not just, uh, you know, uh, downright fantasy or, or, or delusion. The third thing is that, uh, is that he said, he said seven years after the Civil War, that would be uh, 19, 1872, he was responding to Cand- Candace Owens as part of the Donald Trump Make America Great Again team. How how she even deserves a place, a spot on on a forum, even with, with T.I. or Killer Mike is beyond me. But but he said, Candace, you're right. There, there was a time when America was great. Okay, so what was happening in the United States during this time frame? Reconstruction was still in existence. Black people had been given as a result of the uh, passage of the 13th and 14th Amendments, 13th Amendment outlawing slavery for all conditions except one, and the 14th Amendment uh, making black people citizens of, uh, of, of the United States. And so, and then the 15th Amendment was passed. So during this, during, during this period of time, you got these amendments that made black people citizens and gave black men the right to vote and, be, and because of the presence of the uh, United States Army in these southern states that, that had been in rebellion, black people were able to move into the legislatures of uh, these southern states like Alabama, Mississippi, South Carolina, Georgia, North Carolina, et cetera, et cetera. And they were also elected to the United States Congress. And uh, as John Jackson, both John Jackson and his uh, little pamphlet that everybody should read, Black Reconstruction in South Carolina, and W.E.B. Du Bois' massive study called Black Reconstruction, they point out that these people, these, these black politicians did a lot of things to make America what it is today. Uh, for, for example, there was no system of public education in the United States until, uh, you know, these black congressmen and the other Republicans, uh, you know, put it in place. But, was a, but, but he's saying that America was great during this period of time. First of all, America had denied the number one thing that could have moved black people somewhat, somewhat closer to a a position of, of, of being recognized as a human being. The United States Congress had passed the Freedmen's Bureau Act. It was passed under Lincoln. Lincoln was assassinated. The Freedmen's Bureau Act called upon the United States to provide 40 acres of land to each formerly enslaved African family. That was the law under the Freedmen's Bureau Act. It was systematically overturned by the Southern former slave owner, Vice President of the United States, Andrew Johnson. So when the number one thing and black people did go about between 1865 and uh, 1920 uh, being able to purchase some land, that is a fact that that that's no lie. But that's not the same thing as what had what had been promised under the Freedmen's Bureau Act. That was to give each African family an economic footing, an economic foundation that they were giving to Europeans who were flooding into this country because of the wealth that had been created because of the Industrial Revolution, which had been based on the capitalism that was developed, developed, was based on the 246 years of African enslavement. 
So how you gonna how you gonna say uh, that the country was great at that point? At the same time, they are continuously committing genocide and stealing the land of the indigenous people. And 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 although you had some black people occupying political positions, the economics where we have been robbed for two hundred forty six years. And the 40 acres would just been a, would have been a small measure of the amount of wealth that we had we had been uh, that we had a, uh, de, uh, created for this country that our ancestors had created uh, during chattel slavery. They weren't they that was the number one thing that we needed and it was denied. So what this demonstrates is that this person really doesn't understand history. But here's what happens when you get up on a stage. And you don't have a clear, you're not grounded in a clear ideology, and you're not grounded in clear ethics, and, you, and, and you're trying to pacify everybody on the stage. You're trying to pacify Candace Owens. You're trying to pacify T.I. You're trying to pacify P. Diddy sitting out in the audience. And so you're trying to be everything to everybody. And you go off the handle with a, with, with a bunch of mass confusion. And as Brother Amo said, this is very dangerous because these people command so much of, of, of attention. This is like Bobby Wright said in the, in the 1980s. There's only one battle left, the battle for the black mind. Our enemies know this. And, the, and, and, and a lot of these uh, Negro entertainers play a valuable role in keeping the black mind wow. in a state of confusion. And I and, and I, I really want to touch on the point that last point because what you're seeing here is it's another usurp attempt of a movement where just like in the 1980s where you had the African consciousness movement or the African center movement that was then usurped and pretty much sabotaged by these, you know, Europeans who wanted to come in and challenge what a lot of the black scholars were saying at the time about African history. So now it's revolving around again where the idea of actually fighting for liberation or the idea of actually separating from white people is now being usurped by entertainers who have transformed the argument back into how we should assimilate into this American society. And their voice is being projected because of their popularity. Mm -hmm. If you look at the early... 2000s mid 2000s where you started to see a lot of black consciousness videos start to pop up on youtube because before youtube it was all you know tapes tapes mm -hmm. dvds before tapes dvds it mm -hmm. was all books mm -hmm. so the youtube comes out and you start to see a lot of black consciousness pop up on youtube a lot of it was good information mm-hmm so then we go through a transition period where a lot of people who hadn't read books before who were exposed to YouTube started to wake up and, and the black consciousness started to become very trendy. Mm -hmm. Then you go through a phase where, you know, everybody's wearing, you know, African wear, everybody's wearing black power t-shirts, everybody's, you know, expressing consciousness that they're learning. Mm -hmm. So then, you know, you go from, the lecture series where you got people going around from country, I mean, from state to state every week lecturing, you know, about either African history or problems in the black community that transitions into now you have docu series where everybody's rushing to make a documentary. Everybody's making a documentary and hidden colors really was what really exploded on the scene that really woke a lot of people up who had never been exposed to any of this type of information. Mm -hmm. So you had, uh, uh, you know, a lot of people make these documentaries and people got excited about the documentaries 
and then you saw Hidden Colors transition from, you know, just having the black scholars to now also including entertainers. Mm. Okay? This is where you get the beginning of the David Banners, the uh, the uh, Killer Mikes, mm-hmm. uh, these people like that, Nas and whoever, you know, they want to come out and they have a voice for black people. Hmm. And what's happening now is all of the true, and I won't necessarily say leaders, but I would say all of the true African-centered people who are out here and their goal is for black people to really have African liberation mm-hmm. are being overshadowed in the eyes of the masses by these entertainers who have decided to now it's cool, you know, to talk about the African struggle, the black struggle. Mm-hmm. And another thing to do with it is because Donald Trump is in office. Yeah, you know, he's really motivated a lot of these because in their eyes now, you know, they feel disrespected. Right. That, you know, Obama is no longer there. Yeah. And they don't have the 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 the, uh, the respect from somebody that's at a higher rank than them. Yeah. You know, and I think the I think that that entertainers in general now 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 we would, of course, exclude people, for example, like like Paul Robeson, for example, you know, Muhammad Ali, when he took his stand, uh, they, they will ride the waves of popularity. And what happened during the 1960s was that we had created such a, such a wave of black consciousness, you know, really beginning uh, with the civil rights movement, but, the transformation into black power and black liberation, suddenly James Brown was saying, say it loud, I'm black and I'm proud. And then somebody had to remind him, Jay, you need to, you know, get that process out your head and, you know, wear an afro. And he did for a few years. And, you know, you had Marvin Gaye, you know, and, 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 and this, uh, uh, you know, Mavis Staples, you know, Pop Staples. And you, you, you had a lot of positive music being produced, but it was, it was being produced. A lot of it was just business, but I think some I think some of these uh, brothers and sisters were serious about the message um, that they were putting out. Like the Staple Singers have a song about reparations called "When Will We Be Paid for the Work We've Done." A lot of people never heard this song. Prince redid the song. Uh, for example, "When Will When Will We Be Paid?" So you had that, and uh, and then hip hop was initially a positive creation, you know, by the, by the, you know, the grassroots, grassroots entertainers, you know, doing things on the streets and whatnot. And it got co-opted. But I think one of the things that was kind of like, kind of turned entertainers was, you know, the reaction of the community to state-sponsored killings, right? I mean, say, with, you know, with Oscar Grant, you know, I mean, it started to build up. Then Trayvon Martin, you know, the three ladies came out with uh, Black Lives Matter. And then you had the the uh, the Ferguson Rebellion, uh, which was really led by people like uh, Darren Seals, you know, the grassroots, not these interlopers like uh, McKesson and and all these other people that, 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 that were sent into the community by uh, George Soros and others. So now these entertainers like that's been talking about, you know, I'm in the trap and I'm trapping and I'm doing all this kind of other stuff. And now some of them, like T.I. and some of these others, now they start saying like, oh, man, you know, we, we better get with this. And you know what and you know what else? Go ahead. I'm glad you made that point because one of the things that I forgot that happened during that time where they had all of the police killings on CNN and all of the media outlets, people forget that Michael Johnson down in Dallas, Texas, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. killed all those five police officers. Right. No, they don't a, want to talk about that. A lot of people tried to come out and say, people tried to say it was a false flag attack. Right. It really didn't happen. And I remember watching it when it happened live. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that immediately signaled to me that it wasn't a false flag attack was the fact that 
the media outlets, the news, and everybody was scrambling. They were hemorrhaging because they were so in shock that this actually took place. They didn't know. They were pulling people out of the crowd saying, this is the person that did it. They even put one guy's picture up on the TV saying, this is the suspect, and he ended up not even being a suspect. Mm-hmm. So they were hemorrhaging for information, scrambling, trying to piece this story together. That's what told me, okay, this wasn't, this wasn't a false flag. This was a real attack. The second thing is that after it happened, they quickly swept it under the rug. Interesting. Now, now the other the other brother that killed the police officers down in Louisiana, Cosmo Setemura, his uh, altercation took place shortly after the Michael Johnson mm-hmm. uh, situation took place. And if you notice, after those two incidents, they stopped pushing the police brutality narr- narrative on TV mm-hmm. because they, they reached a point and, and the FBI even stepped in and said, you know, you got these black identity extremists. Mm-hmm. So then you get, I believe, the funding of these celebrities to come out and not just sing a song or rap like they did in the past, but now they're being funded to be a voice, mm-hmm. to be that leadership, right? to convince black people to take away the spirit that Michael Johnson and Cosmos and Tepera possess. They want to remove that spirit from the entire movement. So you get the George Soros's and the people who have money and are funding these people to come out. They, Killer Mike got funded to support Bernie Sanders. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and that was the other thing uh, that, that, I didn't, that I didn't mention. When, when he's articulating, you know, this strategy, which, you know, we, we've heard this concession strategy for years, right? And he's saying, withhold your votes, you know, don't have a master on the plantation, withhold your votes, be independent. But this man has already identified his allegiance to Bernie Sanders, so how do you rationalize telling people, well, we need, we need to organize, form an agenda, uh, make demands, get concessions, and then we're going to give our votes to that person. And you're telling them you shouldn't have a master on either plantation, but you've already identified with, you know, Bernie Sanders. So it's a contradiction. Now, if, 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 if someone stood up and said, you know, I'm an independent. I'm not voting for nobody until blank, blank, blank. But, you know, I mean, that that depends on, you know, if, if you actually believe that these politicians are going to grant somebody something of significance just because you held a meeting with, you know, and 400 people showed up. Douglas said power concedes nothing without a demand. They don't they will not even make reforms unless there's a serious threat mm-hmm. to the power structure. Mm-hmm. Okay. They yielded to the demands for reforms of the civil rights movement mm-hmm. because of the power the civil rights movement represented in terms of number one. During the Cold War, they were creating a tremendous problem for the image of the United States as it tried to establish spheres of influence, particularly in Africa. Come on, come on. And you had Malcolm over there saying, you can't understand what's going on in Mississippi if you don't understand what's going on in the Congo. Come on. And so people began to identify how you're going to be opposed to Ian Smith in Rhodesia and P.W. Botha in South in, in, in South Africa, and you're not opposed to George Wallace in Alabama and Lester Maddox in Georgia and Ross Barnett in Mississippi. So people would, Africans across the world were beginning to get this, you know, global African center type of type of consciousness. So 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 under those conditions, the United States, they got together, the Democrats and the Republicans, and a higher percentage of Republicans voted actually for both of those bills, the Civil Rights Act and the uh, Voting Rights Act, than 
than did a higher percentage of uh, Democrats, even though there was a Democrat in the White House, Lyndon Johnson. But what, the reason they yielded to that demand was because there was a mass struggle in, in the community, in the nation taking place. It posed, it posed economic threats. It posed geopolitical threats. And they said, well, what's the best thing for us to do? Mm -hmm. Best thing for us to do is integrate these schools, integrate these public toilets, integrate these lunch counters. Let the Negro sit on the front of the bus. If they want to vote, let them vote, and we'll give them the people to vote for. You know, and, so, and, so, and so under those conditions. But now, that was a result of a mass movement that cost the lives of people. Just past um, September the 15th, we just passed September the 15th. Right. The anniversary of the, 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 the tragedy that the white supremacist violence that killed six black children in Birmingham, Alabama in 1963. This is a struggle. It only resulted in reforms. And now these very reforms are being undermined. The new Jim Crow. And so and, and, and you talking about. Oh, well, we're going to make demands and they're going to based on what? Yeah, <laughs> they go. OK, so we'll we'll make, uh, you know, Killer Mike, the uh, high commissioner of uh, hip hop culture, <laughs> give you some kind of position. George Soros will find some money to pay you to, uh, you know, get, you know, get some kind of program or whatnot. But 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 this this is not the, what what these guys are talking about keeps us in this cycle. This repetitive cycle between systems of white supremacy and reforms. Mm -hmm. So you go from one system of white supremacy to a brief period of reforms to another system of white supremacy to a brief period of reforms to another. It keeps us in that repetitive cycle. Absolutely. And what Garvey and Malcolm and Marimba Arnie and Amos Wilson and Kwame Ture and Thomas Sankara and Winnie Mandela, what these people are talking about is breaking the cycles. So a Amos says, look, I, our job is not to go in and, and ask for a, a, a piece of a pie that has been created based on thievery and criminality. We, we don't want something from, the, from, from these thieves. We want to destroy their capacity to commit crimes. Mm -hmm. uh -huh. That's, you know, that's, I mean, I, I, I wish I had, had pulled a quote up here, but uh, it, it's such a brilliant quote by Amos. That, that's the spirit that they want to take away. And they use these people, these entertainers, they use them to remove the spirit of real liberation. And it's things that we haven't tried as a masses of people. We've tried boycotting. Okay, we tried nonviolence. Mm -hmm. We tried economic empowerment. And in my opinion, all of those things have failed us here in this country. They have. We haven't tried on a mass level Marcus Garvey's plan. We haven't tried on a mass level to do what Jean-Jacques Dessalines, Bookman Duddy, and the Haitians did in the Haitian Revolution. Those are the two things left. Yes, sir. So an insane person, the definition of insanity is is repeating the same thing over and over again and, and expecting a different result. Right. It's time for us to try something different if we want a different outcome. Killer Mike could have said, develop an agenda, take that agenda to President John McAfee and say, what can you provide for us in regards to citizenship and economic support if we support Tanzania? Right. Take that same agenda to the president of Ethiopia mm -hmm. and ask, what can you do for us as far as citizenship and economic support if we support Ethiopia, us black people here in the United States? Right. But see, bro, they're not familiar with uh, Malcolm to the extent that you brothers are. When Malcolm intoned, don't take your problems to the criminal. 
you know, he said some other things as well. But uh, the point you made, brother, about uh, African liberation and uh, independence, um, I'm kind of reminded of what uh, Dr. Wilson articulated as it related to a fighting formation, even though it was embodied in the personal one. You know, the European power structure, they were probably concerned because his self-defense mechanism had broken down. And Dr. Wilson was using the example of Brother Ferguson, you know, who exploded on several people on the subway, you know, and the Europeans had to uh, think, uh, wonder, you know, how many more are there like that? Yeah, Colin Ferguson. Our our, our self-hatred, and this uh, comes from Wilson, is the Europeans' best self-defense mechanism. Mm. And that self-defense mechanism broke down. You know, instead of drinking himself to death, right. instead of hurting himself in some type of debilitating way, he went to what he perceived to be the enemy. But also to uh, Macaroo's point, um, this country making these reforms on the basis of its geopolitical image, and I'm going to give you an impeccable source. You know, John Kennedy, in the quotes, an impeccable source, he said that, uh, you know, we're caught up in what he described as a worldwide ideological struggle, Cold War. And as it relates to reforms, I remember President Johnson, a Southerner, who had opposed every civil rights bill as a senator coming out of Texas, you know, basically said these N-words are feeling high and mighty nowadays because they have the vote. He said it's incumbent upon us, you know, to give them the vote or something that doesn't really make any difference. That way we'll have them voting democratically for 100 years or something to that effect. So, you know, here again, the trickology of the European um, and his uh, global long-range macro agenda, you know, far exceeding our... um, perception of our ability to move toward these reforms or our perspective of, of, of our role. I mean, we played a role, but there was also an agenda at the ruling class level that happened to coincide with, you know, our desire, okay, to accomplish these reforms. It benefited the ruling class, is what I'm trying to say in short. Uh, you know, Maroon Shores talks about, you know, kind of related to this concept. He talked about the release of Huey Newton. You know, whether Newton killed Officer Fry or not and, and, and was exonerated is inconsequential. Uh, you know, whether he was guilty or not, they knew they had him on a short leash. Hmm. You know, it's, it's the same principle that guided the control and the co-optation of Ray Lewis. Mm. Ray Lewis is mm. a different person. This is Schultz talking now. You know, Ray Lewis is a, a different person after he was exonerated from uh, a, a, a murder charge. Right. Huey Newton was a different person after he was exonerated from a murder charge. I thought this is just a very interesting concept put forth by Maroon Schultz. Hmm. Uh, that, 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 is, that is interesting, but, but that is the way the system of, of uh, reward and punishment works if if uh if you are, if you live in fear of their ability to punish you, so I mean that's that that's that's exactly the way it works. But see, you know, here here's the thing. Here's 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 the thing, and see, we are we are in a process right now. Uh, and it, it and the election is not you know is a year away. A year away. And for the last four years, I mean, well, really since he got elected. Since he took office in January 2017, our community has been bombarded with this notion that this man, Donald Trump, is 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 the reincarnation of of every evil white supremacist you can think of, all all wound into one. He's worse than than Ronald Reagan, you know. He's worse than Andrew Jackson. I mean, you know, wh- wh- Calvin Coolidge. Where, where, Fillmore. <laughs> Fillmore. <laughs> where, wherever you want, wherever you want to go. And so, and so, see, but see, what happens is, what happens is, because we have not been able to 
break the monopoly which the corrupt two-party system has on our minds. We have not been able to think outside the box. At all. At all. It's, everything is wrapped around. See, we are, we are mentally incarcerated by the greater evil, lesser evil syndrome. And we have this, and they have made Trump the greatest evil <laughs> that has ever existed. Never mind that in a lot of ways, he's just a continuation of what Obama was doing, and Obama was just a continuation of what Bush. of what Bush was doing, and Bush was just a continuation of what Clinton was doing, and you just you just keep going back, 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 and whatnot, and and so, but this is this is what what is going to happen? What I mean, our minds, the minds of our people are just going to be absolutely flooded with vote for the Democratic candidate I, if, it's, if it's Humpty Dumpty. And I don't think you can really tell the difference between Joe Biden and Humpty Dumpty. Humpty Dumpty was more intelligent, Humpty brother. Dumpty was more intelligent. He, just <laughs> felt, he had enough sense to fall off the wall, right, and break into pieces, and Biden won't do that yet. Maybe the Dumpty was uh, assassinated. Maybe, maybe <laughs> you know, maybe so. And so, and so, and so, and what, what, they, what they're doing, their objective is, to keep us in reactionary mode, reacting to whatever they are doing. Garvey looked at the conditions. Yes, he, Garvey, of course, was, was an, uh, you know, a native of Jamaica. Come on. You know, but he was aware of uh, the Red Summer. He was aware of, the, of the, the, the racial violence that was taking place in this country, and he understood he understood, you know, how people were reacting to it. And he says, well, let me give you a, an alternative. We will, we will build our own power base and we don't have to deal with this. Mm-hmm. And, so, and, so, and so what we don't have today is anybody with that kind of vision mm-hmm. and the capacity to articulate that kind of message that resonates in the hearts this man built an organization with with an estimated six million members, but how many uh, people supported the idea that maybe couldn't afford a membership or whatever? But see, but but all of these guys, what what we hear, and I don't care where it comes from. If it comes from 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 Dyson, from from Sharpton, Jesse Jackson, uh, Maxine Waters, you know, then the, the entertainers, uh, Jay Z, wherever it comes from, all of us designed to do the same thing. Keep us in this repetitive cycle. Just mm-hmm. push for more reforms. Uh, react. Re- you got to react to Trump. Look, I'm going to tell you something. If Hillary Clinton was president, this country would already, already be at war with Iran right now. And Russia. Already be at war. And you think the conditions are bad under Trump, go to war with any of those two countries and, 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 and see how much water you can drink tomorrow. And so... Even a maniac may serve serve a purpose, and you know, and Trump is probably the only the only thing right. And and look, this man has numerous personality disorders, so you don't know when he's gonna flip. But this week, as I bought gas on Monday for two thirteen a gallon, and on Wednesday that same station it was two forty five a gallon, and this is a result of the explosion of the uh, oil facilities in Saudi Arabia. And the Warhawks and everybody was saying, blame Iran. They, they didn't, they didn't want to give these colored people in Yemen, and some of them could, could walk down the street of the United States and pass for any, any black person, or uh, they could walk on the African continent, and there's no doubt a lot of them came from Africa. They didn't want to give them credit for having the technical capacity to do this. But, you know, this so-called maniac that everybody wants to get rid of could have prevented it. Doesn't say tomorrow he may totally change his mind, but I'm just saying what what whatever whatever is going on, they always want to keep us focused on them rather than focusing on positive things that we can be. We should be preaching a message that we got to rebuild our families. That ain't got nothing to do with nothing, none with none of these politicians. Okay, so I mean that there are things that we could be doing that we won't even be reacting to them. 
But in a lot of ways, we will be improving our position in terms of being able to neutralize their capacity to impose their will on us. I know we're running out of time. Oh, we're out of time. Well articulated, Brother Macaroo. Insightful on the part of Brother Amos. Uh, this has been the African Liberation Media. Men, I really appreciate the intensity as well as the insightful depth of the conversation. BB for Hodier. BB for Hodier. BB for Hodier. Power or the lack of power. I want to repeat this. Power or the lack of power. If your education in this institution is not about gaining real power, not jobs, because your jobs do not represent power. Not getting elected, that does not represent power either. Uh, buying your houses and fine clothes does not represent power. Uh, if it is not about real power, you are being miseducated and misled, and you will die educated and misled. If your study of black history is merely an exercise in feeling good about yourself, then you will die feeling good. The study of history then must be more than the pumping up of your self-esteem and the pumping up of your pride. Those things are important, but ultimately those things are not the means by which we will save ourselves as people in this world.